Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Hey there, this is Nicole, the host and producer of the Found Down Podcast. I just want to say this episode is a good one. I talked to epidemiologist Kat, Dr. Wallace, and uh, it's just a very informative and cool episode. I hope you enjoy it. Before I get into that, I just want to say thanks so much for listening. Thanks for showing up week after week. Thanks for sending me feedback. Um, you're you know, on Instagram or um, in emails. I just, and give me reviews. It's so great. I truly appreciate your support. Man, we are, gosh, 14 months, 15 months into the pandemic. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a rough go. And, you know, I hope you are doing okay and digging into the self-care practices that you need, seeing your therapist or whatever. I'm trying to do that myself. Um, we got to take care of one another. We got to take care of ourselves. Um, hopefully we are <laughs> the light, um, seeing some light at the end of this tunnel um, I'm, I'm trying to find the light. Um, but, uh, we're, we're going to get through this. I just want to let you know, if you want to support the show, a good way to do so is to write a review. It really does help the show grow. Uh, you know, you give them an honest review on whatever platform you listen to. Um, that would be really great. It certainly helps that me out and helps the show out. Also, you know, if you want to support Found Down, there is a support button on the website founddownpodcast.com and you can um, make a donation to the show if you want to give back. Um, you definitely don't have to do that, but if you, if you feel so inclined, um, the money would go towards the covering the cost of the podcast. Okay, so I do want to mention our amazing sponsor, Nicole Kupchik, CNS and educator. She's a huge supporter of the show. Obviously, she's Found Down's sponsor. And, you know, she's got some really great resources for nurses like continue, continuing education classes, Zoom courses, books, lots of resources out there for you to grow and advance your practice. I've, I'm a huge supporter of her work and what she offers for nurses. So please go check out her products at uh, NicoleCupcheConsulting.com and use the coupon code FOUNDDOWN20 for 20% off her products. Now she does have another CCRN review course coming up in June. So you you definitely want to check that out. All right. Thanks so much for being so awesome for tuning in week after week. This is a good one. So let's get at it. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show.
Well, hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and I am stoked. I have an amazing guest on the show today, Dr. Wallace, a.k.a. Epidemiologist Cat from TikTok Infamy, which we'll talk about. Um, well, Dr. Wallace holds a PhD in epidemiology and has 15 plus years of professional research experience in epidemiology, research design, pharmacoepidemiology, health economics, outcomes research, and biostatistics. She's currently working as an epidemiologist and adjunct assistant professor of epidemiology at the University of Illinois at Chicago School of Public Health. Today, the hopes of having her on the show is to talk about COVID and the pandemic, where we are at a national scale and maybe a global scale. And, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. But before we do any of that, welcome to the show. And can I call you Kat or should I call you? Yeah, Kat's fine. Thank you, Nicole. I'm really happy to be here. I'm so stoked. Um, I want to, I ask all my guests this, like, how are you? How are you really? <laughs> yeah, I saw that on your thing. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, actually, I, I'm doing okay. Everything is busy, obviously. It's been busy since the beginning, but I feel like we're, we're on, I feel like the collective COVID kind of pandemic is sort of, we're on a sort of trajectory to end it with the vaccination. So I feel a little bit more hopeful and that then kind of turns into my, my mood being a little more hopeful. So I feel like the more people get vaccinated, the more relief I kind of feel, I sort of start to exhale when I see those numbers a little bit. Yes. So so I do feel like I'm doing better as a result of that because during the spring and summer last year and (laughs) into the winter, I was, I was pretty anxious the entire 2020 actually i mean this is the work that you do i we didn't talk about asking you talking about this on the show but like how did it feel being in your field and having this a pandemic hit you know it was weird because you train for this right but you don't actually think you're gonna have to do it (laughs) i know that sounds weird but you train for a pandemic and you train for a response and and all these things um, but then when it really, when it really comes down to it, you're like, do I remember how to do that? Do, what, you know, like, it's kind of like one of the, it, I feel like I went through a second PhD program in 2020, kind of. I believe it. I mean, you have all these, um, gosh, contingency plans yeah. that I'm sure must be on a national scale. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know how to even unpack that, but like, It's just, it's a lot of, like I said, it's a lot of anxiety. It's a lot of learning as you go having like back in the spring, we had no data. So it was like, we were answering questions based on theoretical data or data from China that we would model for the U S. And so it was very, so a lot of the things that we predicted early on were incorrect as it panned out. However, we didn't have the data for the U.S. at that point. So all we could do was kind of model and project. So I think a lot of people are like, well, the CDC doesn't know what they're doing or, you know, scientists just make things up or they they keep changing their mind. And it's really because we didn't have we had zero data for the U.S. at the beginning. And in the absence of anything, we sort of had to build models and the models got better as time went on. And now we're pretty good about knowing what predicts things. And, and, but at the beginning, we had no clue. We didn't even know there was asymptomatic spread at the beginning. So it's, it was very hard to predict. And yes, a lot of the things from from the beginning were not correct, but so it was really kind of scary and an anxious situation. 
Wow. What an amazing, I just, what amazing thing to be a part of. And I wonder what you'll feel like in the future looking back on. I know. I kind of feel it's funny because when I answer questions on, on TikTok and stuff, people are like, how do you stay so calm when you're getting like, kind of like almost bullying questions? And I'm like, oh, I think I just have PTSD by this point. (laughs) I just, I don't even notice Um, because it's, it's, yeah. After last year, I kind of feel like I'm just in this constant, like (laughs) state of whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder actually, um, th- I might segue into your TikTok oh, sure. um, platform now, Doctor. Yeah, if I jump around, just rain. No, in. no, no, <laughs> totally. It's just to- nope, low pressure, and this is fun for me. Um, th- so you are on TikTok, and that's how I know who you are. Which is, I'm just a, f- I'm a fan, of course. Um, and you know, you have a ton of followers at like 250, or I don't, I don't remember how many. No, that's Tic- Christina. Oh, that's I'm- right. I'm I'm a I'm a little I'm a little creator. I only have like 112 or something. 112,000 people. That's a, <laughs> that's insane. I did interview Christina on the show, and she had had she had had like a hundred thousand at that point. But she, anyway. she's my buddy. That's what she said. That's so awesome. Sorry, I'm getting I'm I'm digressing. But um, how how did that start? And like, what is the work that you do? on TikTok. Yeah. So I started to be on TikTok, not to be an epidemiologist at all. Like I just downloaded TikTok because of the pandemic and because I was bored at home and just had nothing going on. So I was, you know, I had, I was originally posting things on Facebook and I was putting like, you know, things for my friends and family and they started to get shared on Facebook. And, um, they got shared to some groups that didn't really like what I was saying. Um, you know, some like <laughs> virus denying groups. And this was in the spring of 2020 when that was pretty strong. So I got kind of harassed on Facebook and I closed my Facebook account and started to do it just on Instagram. And so I was like, well, you know, and again, still just for my friends and family, but I was like, I don't really want it to go viral. I'm just doing this to inform my own people. And then I downloaded TikTok just for, like I said, for fun, for diversion, um, because I was just working on data and I just needed something else to do. And I started seeing all this like weird viral misinformation on there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, no. uh -uh." And then at first being so naive, I was like, oh, these people just don't understand. I'll just help them. You know, I'll just correct it. I didn't realize that it was like an intentional misinformation campaign. Like I thought, oh, well, here I am to fix this all. It's going to be fine now. I'll just make some videos. And and yeah, it was. And here we are still and a year later, you know, but, um, you know, I remember my first video that went viral. It was like me explaining how death certificates work because everybody was talking about how it was like miscoded. And literally the other day, I just did another one just like that. And I'm like, okay, it's a year later. This is deja vu. I'm now still talking about death certificates, but it's just funny that of all the things that you would think you'd go viral for on the internet, like how (laughs) death certificates work is not one of them. You know, like if if you would have told me a year, like a year before that I would be doing that at all, I'd be like, what, how we, how we collect the data from the death certificates and how we code it in the system. And, and then, um, 
Another one was like, people wanted to know how the R naught value, like the reproducibility factor in epidemiology for an infectious disease worked. And I thought to myself, like, oh my gosh, like people didn't even know what an epidemiologist was last year. They all thought I was a skin doctor because of epidermis. They thought I was like a dermatologist when I would meet them. And now we've gone from that to people knowing what I do and wanting to know really complicated technical information about infectious diseases that is now a part of people's day-to-day life. And that's really incredible if you think about it. Like people didn't have any clue what I did before. They just knew I was a doctor of some kind and they, you know, knew it had something to do with epidemics, but that was where we left it. But now I have lay people asking me about, you know, modeling techniques and reproducibility factors. And I'm just like, it's, it blows me away still. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's how it started. And it just kind of kept going. And people, I think people like, well, some people like having, I like to show people the data because it's one thing to tell people like, you know, you need to wear a mask, but I think it's nice to show them why it's, good to wear a mask and why we come up with these suggestions or, you know, you should get vaccinated. You know, it's like, well, why, you know, why should I get vaccinated? And it's good to show like, well, this is what, you know, this is the difference between a vaccinated person, an unvaccinated person. And, you know, it's, I think that helps people understand and it helps people get having that evidence-based information. It sort of helps people argue like I'm not on there trying to convince like anti-vaxxers or COVID deniers to to believe in what I'm saying that's not really my intention because I don't feel like there's a conversation to be had there yeah I feel like it's what I do is more for people who are having those conversations at their dinner table or in their work or so they have the data in their back pocket or they know the data exists so they can say, oh, no, you know, that's not true because, you know, X, Y, Z, I saw this on a video and then they can find it because I have a link tree where I mm-hmm. put the papers. And if they are getting pushback, they can go find the paper. And, and so I try to empower people to that's my goal is really to empower people's health decisions with data and to, to give them the tools that they need to make decisions for their own fa- self and their family, and also to educate other people that may not be have access to that information. I, oh my gosh, I love it. I, I like, I'm stoked. I know that the listeners out there are stoked too, because I don't know why I said stoked like five times already on this episode, but <laughs> it's a good um, word though. It, it expresses, <laughs> it, it expresses a lot, <laughs> but I mean, I, data. I mean, I, I love data and, and for us in healthcare, like, um, we love evidence and we love evidence-based practice and we love to know the why behind what it is we're doing. And a lot of us love science. And so, um, I, I could listen. I mean, I have, well, it's probably cool as you work in a clinic setting and a clinic setting that was hit so very directly by the pandemic yeah. that you see things like one patient at a time. So you yeah. deal with one patient and then you move to the next patient. So it's probably really nice to see data in aggregate like that. So you can be like, okay, this verif- this validates 
what I've been seeing or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. on your patient by patient basis. So it's probably cool. Cause I don't see your micro view, you know, yeah. and you don't really see my macro view. So it's like, we, we do the, yeah. Like, I'm more, on, yeah. I'm so a population. The, my patients are populations and yours are actual people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And man, I, COVID is, I took care of a patient all day yesterday and she's sick as not. And man, I would not want that on anybody. So, um, just a yeah. reminder to obviously COVID's real and it, and we all need to get vaccinated. But, um, so back to the data, yes. I want to talk a little bit about, and I just think it's sexy talking about data. Like for it's, sure. It's super cool. Um, so where are we in terms of the pandemic now in the United States? Like, in, you know, maybe how we're trending and like, um, if like the infections and also um, vaccinations. So we are doing better, um, but it's relative to what? So one thing that it's, it's when people see the sharp decreases in cases, sharp decreases in deaths, it looks like, oh, this is over, right? But we had a humongous surge between October and January of um, 2020, 2021, like around the end of the year in the winter. So we did drop off from that, thankfully, because that was really, really bad and as bad as things ever were in the United States with COVID. But we have dropped off. But we are now the same in terms of cases as we were like in July, beginning of August. And we already thought it was bad then. So I'm not saying this to be like, you know, a downer or anything like that. But more so to say that this is really far from over at this point. And it it does look like we've decreased and we have, I mean, we definitely have, but we decreased from a really big surge and not really from the baseline rate that we had in the summer. So we do have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of vaccinations to give. We have, you know, people don't, want to wear masks anymore. People think, you know, it's all over. And so we, it's a challenge, like, because we know that the mitigations work. We know that, you know, masks, social distance, the, the virus can only replicate if you let it, if you give it an opportunity. So being around other people, it's completely behavioral, you know, you know, so like if you aren't around other people, the virus cannot replicate. So we know that. And that's why when people say like lockdowns don't work, that's crazy because of course they work. I mean, I'm not saying I advocate for that, but it, if, but the people that advocate against it, it's like they by common sense work because that's how the virus replicates when people are around each other. Yeah. So, so I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not advocating for that, but the countries that have done that have been very successful. And so we know that behavioral mitigations like social distancing and like masks and, you know, like staying away from group activities where things tend to spread. We know this spreads in clusters. We know it's a super spreader. That's the term we like to use in the media. That's how this likes to spread. So we know that about, you know, 10 to 20 percent of people are responsible for most of the infections because of this clustering effect. 
most people that get it will come home and be like convalescing at home and, you know, everything is fine, but there's a few people that will still continue to be out. And that's how this is kind of spreading. And it's unfortunate. So <laughs> that being said, it, the drop off of interest in the mitigations is bad. The variance is kind of concerning. So it's, I feel like we're just going to kind of keep at this same level unless we either pick up vaccination really a lot or people start to be more interested in the mitigations, which I kind of can't see happening. Well, as I just have a couple clarifying questions now, as folks that are vaccinated, um, what do you advise? I mean, uh, anyway, what do you advise? So the so the vaccines are extremely effective. Like I don't I don't worry anymore when I'm like going to grocery store. I do still I do still tend to double mask, and it's more because I was used to doing it already, and I was doing it before they even said to do it. Like I would put my little surgical mask underneath my other one, mostly because I wear glasses and I realize it holds everything into place and I can put my glasses on the outside and it doesn't steam up my glasses. Like that was oh. my, that was my system I had worked out already, even before they made it as a recommendation. So I still do that, but I don't walk around feeling like, like every time I leave the house, I'm going to need to quarantine because I have COVID or something, you know, like I was very scared, like back in the spring that even if I went to like CVS, I'd have to wash myself for 10 days, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was really, and you working in that, you, you yeah. probably always thought you had like every oh time you had allergies, you're like, okay, this is it. I know. You know? I know. I know. Yeah. So it's I don't scary. do that anymore. And that's and like when I do have, and I, I but I, I'm still not really doing a whole lot in terms of like, I don't go, even though restaurants and bars are open, I'm not going to be an early adopter of that. I'm still sort of waiting to see because we know those are activities associated with high transmission. Mm -hmm. So to me, like, I know that if I get COVID after vaccination, I'm not going to die. And I'm probably not going to be end up in your ICU as your patient. But I don't want it at all. Like I, I would rather just stay away from that. If I get it, then I'm protected to some, you know, to a bit large yeah. degree, but you know, I feel like why bother until the community rates drop yeah. to a certain point. But I do believe that the vaccine is not um, like, you know, we know it's not a hundred percent. We knew that from the clinical trials, but I just feel like myself personally, um, I'd rather just still do essential things. And I do see friends, but I see them like kind of in like the CDC kind of um, sanctioned gatherings, so, like in my house, we don't, you know, if somebody's vaccinated, we don't wear masks in the house mm -hmm. because, you know, if I'm vaccinated and that person's vaccinated, then we don't wear masks. But I would rather do that than be in a group of people, mixed vaccination and not vaccination where people are eating and not wearing masks to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I know uh, it's an unpopular opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, I agree with you on, uh, not wanting to get it. I don't want to get it. Um, and I've, you know, I've been pretty conscientious about expanding my bubble. And now that I'm yeah. vaccinated, you know, we're, and my husband's vaccinated, you know, we're like talking about maybe seeing friends with, 
<laughs> we're just yeah. starting to have those conversations, but everything yeah. we've done has been outside and yeah, that's distance. my preference. So, so always during a pandemic, I mean, we are still in a pandemic. So I just, you know, <laughs> so when I'm, when I'm, when I'm saying, you know, just cause you're vaccinated doesn't mean the pandemic is over for anybody. Like even you know, for you, for anybody, like, I feel like that's needs to be understood by people. Like we need to get enough people vaccinated so that like community rates start to drop and then we can feel more comfortable with going to restaurants. Cause of course I live in downtown Chicago. I miss going to restaurants. That's like one of the things I did all the time. And so I'm not like anti anything. I just don't, I just don't feel like that's something at this point that I want to be doing, but yeah, expanding the bubble is, is interesting because I haven't done any, like, um, we did, we have gone to my mom's with my sister and her husband a few times and they're vaccinated, but the kids are not. So because the kids are not, we did it outside because we felt like, okay, that's safer for everybody if we have yeah. a mix of people. So we did an outside gathering, which was fine because the weather's nicer now. And I feel like because the weather's nicer, that gives us more opportunities to mix with people that maybe we wouldn't feel comfortable maskless in our homes with. Yeah. So. And just a question too. Um, I, you know, for those of, the, for those of us that are vaccinated, I just want to reiterate something we should be wearing masks when we're still in side places like going to the grocery store going to wherever we go like we really need to be doing that like yes yes oh for sure like i said we're the pandemic is not over once you get vaccinated and i still wear my double mask when i go to the grocery store or to the drugstore i still wear my i even still wear my mask when i'm like like my friend picked me up the other day um, who's not vaccinated and I was wearing my mask in the car with him because I, we went to a place where we were outside, but in the car, I felt like I should probably still have my mask on because it's a small enclosed yeah. area with limited ventilation. You know, I was kind of like, okay, maybe I should just, and he was laughing at me, but I'm like, and everybody I've, I'm used to that by this point, because since last year, I <laughs> kind of thought I was a, like a crazy person, but I, I take it all seriously, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's your work and also mm-hmm. it's your life, right? So yeah. you don't want to get COVID. And um, no. I was just thinking of that, <laughs> the song on TikTok, the pandemic isn't over yeah, exactly. even if you're over oh my it. God. I know that's really, fun. that was one of my very first videos. I used that audio to it. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. I love it. I know, but it's true though. I just feel like there's such a divide between people that think, you know, and, and the fact that people can still think a year later that this is not going on is just this cognitive dissonance like we've never seen in this country. Like there's three million people dead across the globe and they're still saying that this is like being miscoded for profit. And like, I mean, you know, you work in an ICU, like yeah. how off, how is that even possible? Like it, it's, you know, <laughs> it's not, it's not possible. <laughs> And, you know, and then I'm like, well, what the hell are these people dying from them? Like, what do people think that people exactly. are dying well, from? People, and then it's like, well, the flu is is all gone. So it's really just the flu. I mean, the, the conspiracy theories, like, it's just like this really interesting case study in like collective psychology mm. that 
it's going to take years to unravel how this even happened. It might be like some kind of weird control thing, like they're scared and this makes them feel like in control to say like, well, this, this isn't even happening. I don't need to worry about it. And like, I mean, we keep seeing it over and over again, these people denying it publicly, like maybe well-known people and then getting it. And (laughs) I just, I don't, I don't understand. I just do not understand. And the whole like, oh, I have a 99.99% survival rate because I'm not old. That bothers me because we know that this is associated with long-term chronic health problems, readmissions to the hospital, and also just long COVID illness that could last even if you do get better it could be three months or four months from now like who wants that yeah and and oh my gosh and if you do land in the icu then you've got i mean the more morbidity your morbidity it just increases like like you're saying yeah the people who get readmitted there's this weird there's this weird cohort of icu discharges that ends up back because they never fully get back to their activities of daily living after that ICU stay. And yeah. there's these now ha- rehab programs dedicated to COVID patients that were in a severe COVID state that then now need physical therapy and rehabilitation from just from COVID. We've never seen anything like that for the flu. Yeah, right. So, so this is why that bothers me when people start talking about the survival rate and how everybody needs to just go live their lives and if if you're scared or if you're old you should stay home it's like it doesn't work that way like (laughs) I wish it did but it doesn't and it's a very ableist mindset also like if you're if you're old and sick then you should just not be in society and (laughs) no yeah I mean well and you you know this I'm sure that with all a lot of what is it? 50% of adults have been vaccinated in the United States or something like that. Uh, so then, or at least of the proportion of those people are older. So the people that are getting COVID now are younger. Correct. Yes. And that's, that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually an important shift because we do have 50% of U S adults have had at least one dose of vaccine. Um, in that 65 and older group, that percentage jumps up to 80%. So we have a lot of coverage in that group, not enough, but a lot. Um, so yes, we're seeing infections shifting to younger people because the, the proportion of infections are shifting to younger people. And we still have a lot of infections per day. Um, you know, so it is becoming a more younger person's issue. So hopefully we won't see the deaths. Hopefully those will continue to decrease and the severe cases. But, you know, like we said, there's a lot of people in that younger age group that end up with long-term problems like renal problems, lung scarring, cardiovascular issues, neurological problems. You know, there's a lot of long COVID symptoms that are, you know, unfortunately going to be lifelong for these people that were otherwise young and healthy enough to survive the disease in the first place. Man, I've said this before on the show, but like, I feel like in the future, we're going to be able to identify who's had COVID just like you can see like vets on the street, you know, like having 
it's going to be with us for decades the the yeah i i agree um and unfortunately that's going to be that is the case this this isn't going away anytime soon because it's kind of left a scar right we have to deal now with the aftermath yeah um i want to go back to we were talking about vaccinations and how many people, you know, the percentages of people being vaccinated. What does it take to get to herd immunity? And are we on track at all? Like there's some projections that I've seen. Can we t- talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. This is one of my favorite topics. So the, um, we have a couple of issues. We have a couple of barriers to herd immunity in the U S big ones. Um, we're doing well. We are, we were averaging about 3 million vaccinations a day. It has decreased a little bit. Um, we've got had a little bit of a downturn, um, but hopefully that'll tick back up now that we've opened vaccination to everybody over 16. So now if you're listening to this and you're over 16, you can you don't have to wait for a, to be able to um, qualify for vaccination. You can just go now. And a lot of places are walk up. So in like the mass vaccination centers, I know in Chicago at United Center, we just let people come now. Um, So anyway, that's my plug for if you're (laughs) over 16. A lot of people don't understand that they're not waiting for like a letter or something. You can just sign up like it's I've had to explain this to several people that you can just find an appointment yourself. Like you don't have to wait for your doctor to tell you or anything like that. So anyway, now that we've opened that up, hopefully this will tick up again. The two kind of really important barriers we have in the U.S. is that we don't have the children um, vaccinated yet. And that's sort of not coming for a while. We Pfizer has um, given their 12 to 15 adolescent cohort data to the FDA, which is great. Um, And it showed about 100% efficacy in that population. It's better in that population than the adult population, actually, which is great. Um, And they're reviewing that now. So if we assume that's going to be also approved under the emergency use authorization, then we have still about 15% of the US population under 12 that won't be able to be vaccinated. So when you hear these vaccination herd immunity thresholds, one of the ones you hear is 85%. So we've already just at that without having these children involved. Okay. So that's a, that's a concern. The second concern is vaccine hesitancy and that varies by state. It's a very interesting phenomenon. It's kind of back to this collective psychology thing that we were talking about. You can sort of tell how vaccine hesitancy divides based on political party lines. And and this is something that is kind of new to COVID, actually. We, um, for those of us who have been looking at vaccine hesitancy data over the years, we usually see it along the lines of racial groups. Um, And that's been very common. But for COVID, that's not really the phenomenon we're seeing. I mean, we Mm. see some in that, but most of the most of the vaccine hesitancy we're seeing is among um, evangelical Christians and conservative white male. It's very fascinating. Um, So we see it more. So in all these surveys, 
and I've looked at tons of them at this point that are being done. This is replicated over and over again. I'm not saying this to be biased or like I said this on a live one night and people came after me like I was trying to be like, like I was being anti-Republican or something. And I wasn't being that way. I'm just telling people what the data says. And that's over and over again, we're seeing this pattern. Um, So it's very interesting. So the vaccine hesitancy data by state also varies because of this phenomenon. And so we're seeing it varying widely from 11% to like 30% vaccine by, you know, this, the, it's a very wide range of Mm. vaccine hesitancy. So there's, it's the lowest in places like Hawaii, New Hampshire, New Jersey, like I'm trying to remember off the top of my head and it's the highest in places like North Dakota, Idaho, Montana, I mean, just what you would think. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, so we see a lot of that. So that coupled with the children not being able to be in the, in the numerator is, is a problem. So um, I'm actually working on a project right now with, with people to try to quantify the exact numbers of people in each state that are Mm. affected by these two things. And, um, you know, it's that's the that is going to be challenging. So, in light of these two things, we really need to get as many of the willing adults <laughs> vaccinated now, because that's going to be our our key. We, that has to be our key goal: is educating, answering questions, making it available. So that's kind of, and that's why opening it up to people over sixteen with no restrictions was key. Now, just educating people on that you can just go that, you know, it's not going to change your DNA. It's not going to affect your fertility, like all these education questions that unfortunately the Internet and these algorithm driven platforms have been shoving misinformation towards people for months now. We just need to keep answering questions in a calm way and not, you know, it's it's hard, but yeah, there's there's. There's vaccine hesitant and then there's anti-vax, which is two different groups of people. So there's people that will never get it. And that those people, again, we're not talking to because there's no reason to have a discussion there. But there's people in the middle that really just don't know and are scared. And those are the people that you need to educate and just provide data and be very patient and calm and answer questions. And, you know, their questions are genuine questions not disingenuous ones like i get all the time on social media yeah <laughs> but um, that's good yeah. i mean that's good i mean like i feel like we need like an outreach program or something i do too like a community outreach program to just talk to people and yeah let them you know listen to their fears <laughs> and concerns and and let them know that you know hey these are actually really safe and effective and exactly um i had a woman tell me she got vaccinated but she doesn't want her husband to know and like things like that are going on like where it's like people have people in their lives trying to influence them you know because they because of their beliefs and it's 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 just very you know it's sad you know they they just She's like, I got vaccinated, but I'm not going to tell him because I know he would be angry with me. And and people, there's this misconception now, which I'm sure you've probably seen, 
that people think that if you get vaccinated yourself, then you can shed spike proteins and make other other people sick. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, (laughs) yeah. This is I mean, it just like as soon as you as soon as one conspiracy theory sort of like goes away, then they in there's new ones (laughs) invented and they sound scientific, right? Like they sound plausible, like to somebody that has that's uninitiated in, in science and doesn't have this kind of knowledge base. Right. So then like all these women are scared because they're thinking that their friends are shedding spike proteins and that it's messing up their fertility or something like it's it's really wacky. And but it, mm-hmm. and I feel I just feel bad because these people are scared. You know, like yeah. one woman was commenting to me that she thinks this happened to her because she went to the mall. And I was like, no, I'm like, probably there's not, even if it were true, there's probably not enough vaccinated people at your mall to, to make this even happen. So I was like, but it's not. You mean can't she was exposed to vaccinated people who gave her the whatever spike protein yeah. that she then got sick with COVID. Then, so she thinks that it's going to, it's messing with her period. Oh, got it, got it, got and it. And that, that it's like she had a weird period after she went to the mall and she thinks it's because and this is going on on social media. I see it over and over again. People think that if you're exposed to vaccinated people, then something's going to be wrong with you from that exposure. And it's like, we know that's scientifically impossible, but it's, it's just really interesting. The things people are making up to keep this, to perpetuate this anti-vaccine like campaign. rhetoric. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as something gets dispelled, they'll make a new one. <laughs> like, yeah, it's really weird. I wow. don't, I don't, I don't even, I, I don't even know what to say. Cause it's like vaccines first, it had a microchip, right. And now yep. nobody believes that. So we've moved on past that. It was right, right back when there was like a, the, the COVID was being caused by 5G. Remember oh, that right. one? Yep. So that's gone. And they, as soon as they get dispelled, they'll just invent new ones. It changes your DNA. We're still dealing with that one. Like people think it changes your DNA and, yep. and it doesn't. <laughs> and, and the, um, there's some, oh gosh, with get, yeah. What's the infertility one? Like with you oh yeah there was like a my like a like strand a, of proteins yes, that were like yeah, the yeah. same as mm-hmm. something else so they yeah. were like oh this causes infertility and there's no i mean we've had that's actually i'm glad you brought that up we had pregnancies in the clinical trials and there's also been like 60,000 pregnancies reported to to be safe the cdc oh. like that text based yeah, yeah, yeah. some of them might have been pregnant before they got vaccinated but it's like there's we've got overwhelming evidence now that it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't affect pregnancy and it doesn't affect fertility. But still, people cling on to these theories that have no data behind them. It's just a theory, a hypothesis that somebody just made up one day. And then you can t- collect data to kind of say, no, look at this. And people still want to believe the thing with no data. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard something super exciting the other day, and that was that there was somebody who had been vaccinated who got pregnant and delivered their baby, and their baby had antibodies. Have you? Correct. Yes. Let's talk about people, that. It, yeah. 
Yeah, we the first case was really exciting because they t they tested the umbilical cord blood and they found spike proteins in it, and that was really exciting. The um the antibodies to the spike protein, um yes, and now they're it's routinely being kind of looked at and it's it's happening. Yeah, so the passive that passive antibody is nice because you know it's those, those babies won't be able, and then also in the breast milk too, they're studying and they're, it's looking like that's also the case, which is nice because those babies won't be eligible for vaccination until the end. Cause we do the age de-escalation study timelines. So they're the last people, the most vulnerable get it, get tested last. So, you know, it's cool. I think it's really cool too. I think it's really cool. I just got goosebumps. I know it's like, super cool. Like my son is going to be 15 in, I wish he was going to be 16, but he's going to be 15 um, pretty soon. And so like, I'm going to, as soon as that 12 to 15 authorization comes in, I'm going to be like the crazy mom in Walgreens parking lot, like <laughs> waiting for <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be like, give my son the vaccine. Here like, you I'm, go. Get vaccinated. Yeah. Get vaccinated. Exactly. I mean, I don't, I have, we're very, we're a very vaccine friendly family though. <laughs> yeah. I, I wasn't, I didn't think to, to ask you this, but as you, you probably know something about this, like how did they roll out vaccines previously, like for pandemics or, or like with like, or, well, I'll just say with like polio, you know, you had a, a ton of people got the vaccines, right? How, yeah. How did that work? So I don't really, I don't really know about the rollout because obviously I wasn't alive as an epidemiologist at that time. But I do, I do, um, I do know it was a mass vaccination effort, and I do know they had some problems with it at the beginning, um, like like some problems with certain um, lots of the vaccine had caused okay. problems, and they're like very well known at this point. Um, but I had a lady, this is kind of a side issue, but it's cute. I had a lady send me a picture that when she went to get, she's an older lady, she's like 80 and she follows me on Instagram. And I, she, she sends me things all the time. Like she has a bad experience with somebody not wearing a mask at the grocery store. She'll send me like a big, long paragraph venting about it. And it's just <laughs> hilarious. But anyway, I love her. She, um, sent me a picture when she went to get her vaccine and she was wearing her little, polio it said like polio um polio fighter or something and she got it in 19 like 45 or something when she got her polio vaccine and she wore it isn't that so oh, cute oh that's so cool i forgot what it said it's like polio oh something gosh. i and it was like a pin like one a metal pin with like a stick down it I, she was she was really cute that's but anyway so awesome. i'm not really sure how that distribution went yeah uh, well I know it wasn't, but they mass, but what we oh. do mass distributions of vaccines every year for the flu too. That's so true. not, not everybody participates this year. We had off the charts participation, which was great. Cause I mean, that's probably one of the reasons we haven't seen a lot of flu among others with mm -hmm. mitigations, but, um, but every year we do a flu vaccine rollout and push and advertising. And so that's, at least in the, in the city of Chicago, that takes a lot of resources. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we see that here in Seattle. Um, I know, I think my mom said that they were just giving people the vaccines in the, in the schools or something. 
Oh, that makes for sense. The polio, so you, know, you just whatever. Nobody told you not like there was no no. You just whoop, you got it. My gosh, thank God that got <laughs> under control because that was awful. Um. Yeah. Yes. Uh. Um. Can we talk about COVID on a global scale? Sure. And like what? Yeah. What do you think? I don't even so, like. <laughs> there's I'm, so one thing I I get annoyed when I see this is my own personal bias, but I get okay. annoyed when I see on TikTok and stuff like these are the countries that'll let you come visit you know you know you don't you don't need to be you just need a COVID test for 14 days before you go and blah 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 so some of these countries are resource poor countries that have very small healthcare systems and if we are running around and I understand they need the the tra- it's sort of yeah. a double-edged sword. They need the travel dollars, but they don't really need us coming down there and spreading COVIDs and variants and all the other things. So I get a little annoyed when I see those posts because I think they're a little irresponsible, but you know, it's not really up to me to say what's good for these countries, but I just, I don't, I just don't like it, but we are seeing some humongous scary surges in other parts of the world right now, namely Brazil, India, and Chile, um, we're seeing some crazy stuff. India right now is experiencing, like basically Brazil and India's healthcare systems are completely collapsing under all of this. India is basically out of oxygen. People are dying, waiting to get into a bed. They don't have enough beds. There's people outside the ER on gurneys just outside in the, in the sidewalk. I mean, it's, it's like the BBC did a report on it and I was like shaking. Like it's, it's horrifying what's going on right now. And the sad part is they had been doing pretty well in India and they like a lot of places just were like, okay, well, we have herd immunity. We have, you know, we, we went through our COVID and now, you know, a lot of people weren't, using masks anymore and they were back to opening things up and then then this happened so that's kind of why at the beginning of this podcast I was saying there's certain activities like I don't still do because I know that you know this is possible and the they are vaccinating in all of those places um but it's not as quick as we've been able to be fortunate to have in the United States and there's of course many more people in those countries that you know are, maybe don't have as good access to healthcare, and so it's it's been really scary and sad. So I I think that and also these these are kind of people are like oh these are the variants and there is a variant in India that's very similar to the variant in California. It's the it's like the same mutation that caused the two variants. The the one in Brazil is called P1 um, and that one, but we aren't really sure if these surges are caused by the variants or if they're just caused by behavior. Because honestly, and this is my message since the beginning that I've been beating this drum over and over again, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, the variants, the variants. And, and yes, we should be vigilant because we have this going on, but that's really what viruses do. I mean, you, you know this. Um, there is nothing that mitigations the non-pharmaceutical mitigations like masks and distance. There's no variant that that can't protect you against. 
attached. Like you can, if you follow, like I call it the Swiss cheese model, like every layer Mm -hmm. of the model has holes in it. So one thing alone, like if I just wear a mask, but I go to a, and I'm not vaccinated and I go to like a big party, that's not enough to protect me. There's going to be holes in that piece of Swiss cheese. So then I add another one where maybe I go to an outside party instead. So there's ventilation and then maybe I'm vaccinated and there's another layer. Like every layer has got its own like flaws, but it's all together as a like line of defense, they work. So the variance is no different. Like now that we have them, I think it's just important for people to understand that these mitigation factors are still important. And that's why we still wear masks and people get very frustrated thinking that means the vaccines don't work or something, but it's not the case. We're just trying to get to a point where community spread is under control. And we really haven't gotten to that point in the United States yet. And we see now in other countries where they're vaccinating also, like Chile is a perfect example. They've vaccinated a lot of people. In South America, they've probably done the most and they're still experiencing a surge. So it's not enough to just do one thing. You have to do everything. (laughs) So, and it's not forever. It's just until we, you know, get everything under control, but just unfortunately not everybody's on board, you know? It feels a little bit like a race to me. It is a race. It's like the virus versus, yeah, it's like the vaccines versus the virus. And it is like a race. And it's like, we need to get to the that level, like you were saying before, when we had that like herd immunity discussion, we know there's segments of our population that aren't eligible to be vaccinated. And we know there's some segments of our population that aren't willing to be vaccinated. So the other people, we need to try to get as many on board as possible so that we can bring this down. Yeah. Yes, we we do. And we're very lucky. I mean, think about how much of a triumph of science these vaccines are. Oh, my God. We we went from having nothing to having 95% effective vaccines in a year. I mean, that is just less than a year, like nine months. So it's really, these are like a real true achievement. And it's it's just, we're just so fortunate because these could have come out and had like, 20% 20% efficacy or, you know what I mean? It could have been, it could have been so much worse. So to me, it seems that everybody who's eligible should just do it <laughs> because it's the best way to protect yourself. It's the best way to protect your community. It's actually like the most altruistic thing you can do because you're protecting your people around you. Because now we know that it's not only protecting you against symptomatic and severe disease and death, But we also have real world data now showing that it's preventing asymptomatic transmission as well, which that was key because we didn't study that in the clinical trials. So now we're having people do like nasal swabs every seven days in these studies, and they're not getting, there's such a huge decrease in the asymptomatic cases in these vaccinated people. And the ones that do get it usually are, are, um, there's no secondary transmission because their viral load is so low. So you're really protecting the people around you. I am just blown away by the, like you had said, how fast we got these vaccines out. And like you said too, it could be a lot worse. Christina, when she was on my show, she said, you know, it's the best PPE we have, you know, 
Yes, for sure. And now we know it's true. Like we won't kill anybody. We, you know, I mean, that's our, that's, I mean, it's certainly been my biggest fear. Absolutely. Like every time, yes, I always worried about that, about like, I was more worried about spreading it than getting it myself for sure. Or giving it to my, like my family or like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm working working in the vaccine clinic as a volunteer and if this was before I was vaccinated, I would constantly be worried I was bringing this home to my family. But now I don't think about that anymore. Oh, it feels so good. Um, what, what, what do you think, what does it look like for our community spread to be like, I don't know, like what is good look like? Um, you think in terms of, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think it, we definitely would need to have, I mean, obviously none is the best, <laughs> but yeah. we would need all the age group cohorts to be at least under like 3%. Right now we have, like you were saying, there's a, those younger groups from 18 to 29 is it's pretty high in that group still. Um, they're the ones out, they're the ones going to the restaurants and bars and they're the ones working and dealing with the general public. So it's a, that group is a problem. And they're most of the proportion of serious cases, like you were saying also is moving to that cohort of age groups because we vaccinated a lot of the older people that were at very high risk for severe disease. So that group, group, you guys get it together. Will you? I know I'm no longer in that group. So I can, I can say that (laughs) I'm not not either. I was out somewhere with my husband, like outside having a beer. Um, and like, that sounds lovely. It was, it was really nice. Um, but there was like a huge group of like 10 guys at a table. And I'm like thinking, are those guys all vaccinated? Like, no, not, you know, like what, what's there? And you know? people probably think, oh, we're outside. So it's fine. Again, that's just one mitigation layer in the Swiss cheese model. Right. So that's maybe not enough when you're all packed together at a table. Yeah, totally. So, so this is the, these, so you're exactly right. This is exactly the things that you should be thinking about every time you want to do an activity. So for people that are vaccinated, we still think through these things, right? So it's like, I still don't want to get it, even though I know that my situation would be a lot better. And I have yet to find, I've heard a lot of people commenting on things that I've posted about breakthrough infection and how low the rates are. I've had a lot of people commenting, well, my aunt got a breakthrough infection. Somebody at my work got a breakthrough infection, but I have yet to hear of one that was severe I have yet to hear of one that led to death. I mean, I'm not saying there's not, but I haven't personally heard an anecdote about it. Um, So I do feel like my situation would be better, but I still think through these things, you know, like how can I make it as safe as possible when I'm going to do something? And that doesn't mean not to do things. It doesn't mean stay in your house. It doesn't mean don't see your friends. It just means like when your friend, like when my friend picked me up, I wore a mask when we were on our way to the cafe. When we got there, I took it off. We were outside. We were across the table from each other. You know, it's fine. But um, I did. And when someone comes to my house, if they're vaccinated, totally fine. If not, maybe, you know, we figure something out, sit outside and eat on the porch or, you know, there's just there's ways to make it safe and still 
feel like you're participating in your life. I will say it feels a lot better than last year, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. being locked down and scared. I yeah. mean, and oh, my God, 100 um, percent. Yeah. <laughs> and now we can at least go, you know, see our friends. I mean, I don't care about a mask. I meaning I I don't mind wearing one at all. Like I like to wear it. I'm used to wearing it. I feel good when I wear one. And like, yeah, you know, I mean, I now it's kind of weird being like when I go get the mail and stuff, I'm like, oh, what if somebody walks by? You know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of it's sort of weird. But like for you, too, also from an ICU perspective, we've learned so much about treating also, like not just preventing, but on the treatment side, we've learned so much about like what works and what doesn't work in the past year for these patients and how to better, you know, target the treatments to certain stages of disease. And, mm-hmm. and so it's, I feel like that in that respect, I mean, a year ago, we really didn't know anything, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Like when you look at how many people died versus how many people had the disease in the spring, it's like, you know, that curve goes like this and then back up because it's, we just didn't know how to treat the patients. Yeah. Tylenol and support Tylenol early, early intubation, supportive care, really. Right. I mean, that was it. And, and, you know, now there's just so much more we know works like the steroids and monoclonal antibodies. We have remdesivir. We have so much to do now mm-hmm. that's all like all of this is a triumph of science. And just the fact that you guys had to go through all that in the spring is just amazing to me. <laughs> yeah. And you know, my, the reason I say masks work is because, and the PPE works, you know, obviously I took care of COVID patients. A lot of my colleagues yes, did. For sure. we, we also worked very, we work very close to one another. Right. So like, and you know, like side by side, you know, we were taking care of a patient and you got your arm over the patient. You're like next to your neighbor nurse, you're yep. like all, cause you know, they need, you're just intimate and personal with your patients. Uh, cause they're critically ill. You have to be right. right. I mean, it's like, that's your job, but like we, you know, we didn't get it, you know? Nope. Because well, it's funny were- too, because when, um, when people are saying to, when people are saying like, oh, well, why don't doctors have to quarantine after they work? You know, I get that question all the time. I'm like, because they wear head to toe PPE when they're in the unit. Like you yeah. don't understand. It's not like they just wear a cloth mask that says like Las Vegas on it. Like when they're <laughs> going to work, like, I mean, like, <laughs> like I they don't, people don't understand how you guys actually suit up and how, how intense it is yeah. and how if and these people don't even want to wear that one cloth layer when they go into Walgreens, but you guys have to wear this entire PPE ensemble for like eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes 12. So I mean, definitely different. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to swear that shit works. So that's shit. It does work. No, it totally works for sure. I mean, we have study after study about it and it's like, you know, people that, that say masks don't work at this point, I just get annoyed and irritated because we're a year into this pandemic. 3 million people have died. If you, even if you don't think they're going to work, just participate in public health because, you know, we know that it, nothing is a hundred percent effective. It's just willful ignorance at this point to say you're refusing to participate in public health, but you still want to be in public. It's like, no, 
we're a year into this. We can all, if everybody participated, this would be so, would have gone so much better. Yeah. But we just have a lot of people that were very defiant from the beginning about wanting to do even the littlest thing to protect other people. You know, you got me thinking about one thing, and that is, you know, I feel like it's our civic duty to get vaccinated. Absolutely. And it's kind of patriotic. And for the people out there that are big patriots, like, for sure. Come well, on. I, I've, I've actually said that to people before. I'm like, you call yourself a patriot, but you don't care about your fellow Americans. It was more in a mask context, yeah. but, but it applies to vaccines too, because now we know that they reduce transmission as well as, you know, your prevalence of disease. So, for yourself. So I just, I feel like, yeah, I've said that to people like, okay, so how does that fit in? And even Christians too, like people who like you, they're like, I don't wear a mask, F masks, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to their page and it's like, tonight I was at Bible study and we were, and I'm like, how does that fit in when you don't love thy neighbor, but you're at Bible study earlier? Yeah. (laughs) I just don't understand it. Yeah, I don't get it either. I will say, oh and I'm my not gosh. trying to say every Christian is like that. Just no, I know. Her. And honestly, <laughs> my parents are Christian, and they are not like that. But um, no, they, but thank, thank God, they got vaccinated, and um, they do. But they it did just, their part over and over. I saw the same type of person yeah. making those comments, and it, anecdotal. Yes, it's my comments, but I just I kept seeing that and going, huh. Okay, I don't know how that fits together, but I okay. I mean, it is interesting, like the date, like the data you talked about in the beginning. The, the, what was it? The people that are less likely to get vaccinated. There's, there's these demographics yeah. that we are yes. finding out, and just yes. it, it's really, really interesting. It is interesting. It's and it's, it's very, um, it's very telling because it's a, it's a wide gap, and it's it's not um and it's it's basically taking over the gap we had before with the racial groups because that was always our biggest like there's historically been kind of injustices against the african american community and the or the black community in medical research and medical you know like so there's a there's an inherent distrust there which is completely understandable of the whole thing and so I'm happy to always to educate and, you know, I'm very patient with that because I understand where it comes from. But Mm -hmm. um, this new thing is just a new, this, the, the conservative males and the evangelical Christians is a brand new vaccine hesitant demographic that I've not seen in the past research. It's really, really interesting. Very interesting. Huh? Well, it's got got me puzzled a bit, um, but I mean, and you'll get to be able to study it from here on out. I mean, it'll be really interesting to. I've been re- I've been trying to kind of refrain from posting about it on TikTok because yeah. I know it'll bring the trolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you you're actually. I mean, you're not like this is what the data is, right? Like this is yeah. not, this is not made up. Like this is where. No, exactly. That's, yeah. that's exactly like when people were coming for me in my live, I'm like, guys, I'm not saying that I'm that this from myself. I'm reading from a report. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's more than one report by this point. Cause they've been polling people since like the fall, I think. Wow. Okay. Well, um, 
I feel like it's, um, well, I just want to say it's been an amazing Yeah, no, this was a great you. conversation. I, I, for those of you that know that hesitant vacciners or, well, hesitant vaccine population, um, you know, Dr. Kat has great resources. If you follow her on TikTok, she's epidemiologist Kat. She's got mm-hmm. some, some really awesome informational videos on your, you, if you Google Dr. Kat, you can, or epidemiologist Kat, you can find her and, um, She's got great links to articles and um, education out there if if you need some tools in your pocket to try to talk to your people in your life that might be hesitant. Because I do believe it is our civic duty and it's our responsibility to, you know, take care of one another, get vaccinated and try to squash this pandemic. (laughs) Agreed with everything. Um, Do you have any last closing thoughts for the show? Anything you want to No, add? thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and for amplifying my message. I really appreciate you having me on. And again, if anybody has questions, I'm epidemiologist cat on TikTok and on Instagram. So definitely follow me there. And like she said, I have a link in my bio that's got lots of articles and resources. Yeah. But it's just been an honor to talk to you. I hope that we can meet in person someday. I know we all need to have like a medical science meetup after this is over. Yeah, we do. Um, I'm just going to close this one out like I always do, which is uh, stay safe and stay sane. And I'll see you (laughs) on the next one. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you're listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.